Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. I would offer a challenge to the young men of the church to take a moment this week and do two things. One, think of a lady of the church who you can pray for. Maybe that is your mom. Maybe that is somebody who sits a couple of pews away from you, and you just, you just love the way that, that she greets you on Sundays and whatever that looks like. Think of someone who you can be praying for, and then two, maybe find a nice way to celebrate them. Maybe that's a card. Maybe that's make them a balloon animal next week or something. Find some way to celebrate them. God is doing some great things in the life of the church, and we are thankful for all of the women of the church that God has used to nurture us along to this point. We're starting a new sermon series called, uh, uh, about restoration called The God of Restoration, and, uh, and it, it hinges on or it launches from this passage, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. You can just listen along, and this is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. As we talk about that in the days ahead, to proclaim the favor of the Lord's years. We talk about that this week and in the weeks to follow. I want to encourage you to begin to ask, how have I seen God be a restorer? How have I seen God at work doing the work of restoration, doing the work of returning things to the ways in which they should be, doing the work of fixing things? How have I seen God evidence himself as a God of restoration? In order to do that, you need to think first, what does the word restoration mean? So I did a little Google work for you. You don't have to do it. You can just trust my Google work. Here is the definitions that we find for the word restoration. Restoration means the act of restoring, to renew, bring revival, or reestablish. Restoration means the state, of fact, the state or fact of being restored. Here's the one I like the most. Restoration means a return of something to a former, original, normal, or unimpaired condition. The return of something to a former, original, normal, or unimpaired condition. Restoration also means the restitution of something taken away or lost. And then finally, restoration means something that is restored by way of being renovated. All right, restored by way of being renovated. When I think of the word restoration, I think that the word restoration is extremely fitting considering where we're at right now. Think about this. I I would even suggest to us that not only our church, but that all churches across our nation are in a situation in which they are right now trying to figure out how to return to a former way or an original way, or return to normal, or return to an unimpaired condition known as church. The church is trying to figure out what does it mean to come out of a pandemic, 
and gather together again and return to the ways in which they had formerly gathered together. Now, look, I want to say this. I think we got a jump start on everybody else. We got a jump start on everybody else. Now, here's why. Not because we jumped out before anybody else. There were plenty of churches that were ahead of us in terms of gathering together again. But we have a jump start on everybody else because of this. Ten years ago, we started a process of reestablishing the church. Right, the church had kind of kind of dwindled down, and 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 we 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 together gathered together and said, "Hey, what does it look like to reimagine church and to, to begin to breathe a stronger heartbeat back into the life of the church?" And and we began to 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 do the work of revitalizing and re-energizing the church. And and what we saw, slow and steady, we clearly did not see you know like waiting lines to come into the sanctuary or anything. But we saw slow and steady. God just began. To, to, to re-engage Roxborough Church, to, to, to breathe life back into the church. It, the people younger and older started to gather together for the purpose of worship. And so we've been at this practice of restoration, of, of revitalization work for, for 10 years. And so when the pandemic hit and uh, we all had to move to, to something less than what we were used to, we all did it, us, our church, and other churches around, we all did it. But as, it, as it time opened up for us now, 14, 15 months later, to begin to reimagine how to gather back together again, we kind of feel like, okay, like we've, we've been doing this for 10 years. Like, okay, like we, we, we get it. We get it, like revitalizing. Okay, so we got to start with our core again, and we've got to reimagine our small groups again, and we've got to invite people back in again, and we got to, you know, maybe you'd say back in the day, you'd say get back to the basics, right? We got to get back to the basics. So, so we're doing that work, and as we're doing that work, we're saying, God, where are you blessing it? You know, we're throwing out seed, and we're saying, God, where is that seed taking roots? And as it takes root, like, where is it standing, directing your life? that it would begin to grow. We're reimagining that. So I want to say this to us. Welcome back. We're back in it. Like, this is what we've been called by God to do. The act and being a part of his work of restoration is not something that is brand new to us. However, it's something that is so vital. Understanding God to be the one who is about the work of restoration is, the complete, is, is found completely through Scripture. And I'm going to walk us all the way back into Genesis, and I'm going to move us all the way through, through Revelation today. And as we do that, we're going to see the work of God through restoration. I'm reminded that restoration was the full agenda of God, evidenced through the work of Christ. Let me say that again. Restoration was the full agenda of God, evidenced through the work of Jesus Christ. I think we're probably all in agreement, but even if we're not, even if, you, if this seems foreign to you, like just kind of take it today and then let's, let's chat about it later. But God was not surprised by the fall of man. God wasn't writing the, scripture, writing the story of the scriptures of life and thought to himself, wow, I didn't know what to do. I, didn't, I never imagined that man would make mistakes. It didn't surprise God when, when Adam and Eve blew it, nor did it surprise God when we did, right? The, the, the same God who knew beginning and end before beginning and end came is the same God who knew beginning and end before Adam and Eve fell. 
And we're going to see that in Scripture here in just a second. So if you, if you have a Bible, you can open it. It will not be, I don't believe it will be on the screen, so um, you can follow along as I read. But I'm going to pick up in Genesis chapter 3. I told you we go all the way back to the beginning. So in Genesis 1, what happened? Anybody know Bible test? What happens in Genesis 1? Yeah, yeah, God created, right? Like it was something created, right? And in Genesis 2, what happened? No, 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 man didn't fall in Genesis 2. Man fell in Genesis 3. In Genesis 2, what happened? God created, right? It's a second, second telling of, of how God created. It gives a little more story to how God created, right? So in Genesis 1, it says there was nothing, and, and then there was everything, and it ends with God taking a rest, right? Like, everybody loves the end of Genesis 1. It says God rested. Like, yeah, I want to be like God. No? I don't want to rest? Come on, somebody out there feels like they just want to take a rest. Tommy, okay, all right. Just my, just my guys in the front want to rest. Okay, that's good. All right, but in Genesis 3, in Genesis 3, we know what happens in Genesis 3. It picks up with the, the, it picks up with the, serpent, the serpent, and the serpent is beginning to navigate his way around, and he, um, he seduces the mind of Adam and Eve, and they make their fall. And uh, I'm in Genesis 3. I'm in, the verse, in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound. This is after the fall. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now, we've talked about this a bunch of times. You can just imagine the picture in your mind, right? Adam and Eve are running around. They're like, oh, my goodness, we made mistakes. What are we going to do? They realize how, how, how far they had fallen. And then they hear the footsteps of God. I don't know what they sound like to you. Maybe they're like, you know, like, like an angry dad coming from upstairs to downstairs. Do, do, do. Maybe they're like, you know, maybe you'd think of it as like a, a more graceful step, you know, like maybe you imagine him to hover and just to. You can imagine it however you want. That you, have, you have license to do that. You can just kind of imagine what that goes like. But it goes like this in the, in the scripture. It says, then they... Um, the, then, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Where should we go to hide? Let's run behind the apple tree. But then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? If you're hiding from somebody and somebody calls out, where are you? Don't you think it's a good idea not to respond? Just wondering, just wondering. Anybody ever play hide and seek? Everybody ever play hide and seek? All right, it's your turn to hide. You go hide. I'm the seeker. I'm walking around looking for you. Hey, where you at? Yeah, if you tell me you're over here, I know where you're at. You know, like if you're really hiding, you're over here. I know that's how it goes at our house. Yeah, I know. And so, so but the, the Lord God calls out to the man, where are you? And he answers, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I know, it is kind of silly to think about, like, you, you hid because you were undressed before God who made you, okay? And, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, <laughs> the woman you put here with me, uh, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and so I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? You can pause there for a second. What is this that you have done? You can sit in that. You can imagine God having a similar conversation to you and I, not about being naked in the garden, but about all of the ways in which we've stumbled and fallen. 
And he stops with just saying, shaking his head, like, what is it that you have done? Some of you, when you read this text, you imagine God to be the angry God. What is it that you have done? And you imagine him shaking his hands in anger and frustration. What is it that you have done? Some of you, when you read the scripture, you, you, you imagine God to be a more gracious God. He's like, what is it that you have done? And either way, what is, in, what is clearly implied in this scripture is that God is not pleased with the choices that were made. Picking up in verse 21. Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground which he had been taken, which, which, from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden the cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. If you're not sure what just happened there, let me just put it real clear. Adam and Eve were receiving the discipline for the, for the, for the fault, for the mistakes that they had made. And part of that discipline was now being distanced from God. They couldn't walk in the space where God was walking. They couldn't, have pres- they couldn't be present with God in the garden forever. This was part of the discipline, part of the reality, part of the response to the mistakes that they had made. But it also sets up a, new, a, a it also makes clear and sets up the trajectory. When, when, God, when God begins to lay out his discipline, the first thing he does, note this, the first thing he does in response to the fall of man is he provides for their needs. Adam says, I hid, not because I made mistakes. Adam does not say, I hid because I fell. I hid because I ate the fruit. I hid because I was beginning to do things that weren't of you. He says, I hid because I was naked and ashamed. And the very first response that God offers, he says, let me cover you. Let me cover you. Yes, I'm frustrated like crazy that you made those choices. Yes, there are some real consequences to the fall. But I'm a God of restoration. Let me cover you. So he covers him in the midst of still bringing the discipline that was due. He extends the love that can only come from God. And he says, I'm going to cover that for which you are ashamed. And while I do that, I'm going to begin to roll out the reality or the consequences to the mistakes that you've made. This morning, as we enter into this sermon series on restoration, I want us to walk through Matthew's gospel. You know, in in the 11th chapter of Matthew's gospel, we're going to see Jesus describing the, the work of restoration. But I want you to see the background for it here in Genesis. From the very beginning of time, man blew it. And God set out on the journey of life for all of eternity 
to draw us back in. Matthew chapter 11, if you get your Bibles out, we're going to get to that place. It'll be on the screen as well. Amen when you're there with me in the first verse. Whenever you're there, just an amen. Thank you, Nate, for looking at the screen. That's good. That's good. Some of you can say amen. If you're not going to turn, you'll see it on the screen. That's cool. Okay, Lady Lord, I need that to be louder so others are inspired. All right, all right. Even behind the mask, that was an amen. All right, we're going to go with that. That was one. I'll take it. All right, here it is. This is what the, this is what the Scripture says in the first verse of Matthew chapter 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, if you have your own Bible, you can underline that, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus sent back this reply, go back and report to John what you, have, what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to, uh, began to speak to the crowd about John. What did, you go, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yeah, I tell you. The more that I tell you, and more, I, excuse me, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. These, uh, these scriptures we're reading, these 11 verses, kind of these 10 verses kind of share the story of the work of restoration that Jesus was going to be about. But in order to understand the work of restoration that Jesus is going to be about, we have to, like John, ask the important question. Jesus, who are you? Who are you? Like, are you the one or should we be waiting for someone else to be the one? Are you the one who's going to kick this thing into motion or should we be waiting for somebody else? John is saying, hey, I've been out there telling everybody that there was a Messiah that was going to come. I just want to know. Do I keep preaching a story about the Messiah that's going to come, or are you actually the Messiah? Are you the one? And so he sends, his, John's in prison at this time, and he sends his, his, his friends, his best friends, the, the ones who were discipling under him, he says, go find that guy and find out, do your scouting report, right? All my, all my, all my sports fans in the room, like the scouting report, you're going to go out and watch the team and then come back and tell us all about it. I want to know, I want to know every detail. I don't know how they're moving. I want to know the plays they're drawing up. Now, don't be like, don't be like the Patriots scouting team, right? Because they do some things that aren't, aren't right. Yeah. Amen. Come on, y'all. Y'all didn't, I know it was a while ago, but you didn't forget. Right? Okay, okay, all right. So, like, so like, don't be like that scouting team. Just come back and give me the honest report. Like, is this, is, is this the one we're waiting for? So let me say it as clearly as I can. First point today. In order, in order to understand the God of restoration, we have to recognize this. 
Jesus is the Messiah. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, he introduces this phrase, a tri, tri, anybody know how to say this word? I, I practiced all week. T-R-I-L-E-M-M-A. Not like a dilemma, a trilemma, a trilemma. That's the word. I'm stumbling on it, but that's the word. He introduces the word trilemma, and this is what it means. He says that Jesus is one of three things. He says Jesus is one of three things. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. He has to be one of those three, three things. And we have the trilemma. We have to figure out which one of these three he is. See, he says that, that G, it is impossible for Jesus to make the claims that he made unless, and for any of them to be partially true. It's, it's either they're all true or none of them are true. And if they're fabricated, they're either fabricated because he's a liar or because he's just absolutely off his rocker. Right? He says these are the only two options if this is not true. It's either that he made it all up and he's a liar or he's just, he's lost it. He's a lunatic. The only other option is that what he said is actually true and therefore he has to be Lord. He says some, so, so many people try to, try to accept bits and pieces of what Jesus is about or, or they try to think of Jesus as a moral teacher or they, they try to accept the moral sayings of Jesus without the lordship of Jesus or, or maybe they, they, they accept the yeses and the noes from Jesus but they, but, did, did I lose out? but they, don't accept, they don't accept Jesus actually being the one who, ha, who can govern over life. And so as a result, he says, no, 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 you either, you either have to accept who Jesus is as Lord, or you have to put Jesus into one of two categories, absolutely off his rocker, or someone who is making things up. The works and the claims that Jesus make either point to him as the one who has the ability to save the lost, or they point to him as the one who is most lost. Jesus, our Messiah, it is imperative that you and I step it is an imperative step for you and I that we see Jesus himself being the restorative work of the Father. Let me say it this way. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was not an afterthought in response to the fall of man. It was God's plan from beginning to end for Jesus to be the evident restorative work of God. Jesus is the outworkings of the plan of God to restore the relationship between you and God. Let me say it again. Jesus is the outworkings of the plan of God to restore the relationship between you and God, between you and your neighbor, right? Jesus' life, death, and resurrection brings about right relationship between peers so what's this? This is horizontal. Horizontal relationship and vertical relationship is restored through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that was the plan of God, that God from beginning to end said, I have a desire for man to be right in relationship with one another, but in order for that to happen, they first have to be right in relationship with me. And that plan is evidenced through the work, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, our Messiah, 
is the one who brings about the way for you and I. Paul says it this way in the book of Romans in the 10th chapter in the 9th verse. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and that you are saved. And the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Shame. When did we hear that? We heard that in Genesis chapter 3. Right? Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all, the, over all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then... Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching the good news? John is saying, hey, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you just some crazy guy who's lost his way? Or are you walking around trying to trick everybody to believe something that isn't true? And Jesus responds back, tell them what you've seen. Tell them all about me. Tell them everything you know. And let them decide whether I am the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, offers himself for you and for me to be engaged in the restorative work of God. He is the entry point for right relationship with God. Paul says to the church, here's the way in. You confess with your mouth, you believe with your heart, and your life is resurrected, restored unto God. Check this out, y'all. There's no magical tricks about this. If you want to be engaged in the restorative work of God, if you want to be a part of God's plan moving forward for your life to be right on this relationship, it first must be right on this relationship. If you're looking around and saying, all my relationships around me are falling apart, I I, want to ask you one important question. How's this relationship? Because if this one's out of line, all of these are going to be out of line. If this one isn't right, this can't be right. So God moves in with the people through the work of Jesus Christ to prepare a way for you and I to be right with one another and right with him. Jesus is the Messiah. Second, because we understand Jesus to be the Messiah, then we understand this. Jesus is the one who enriches our lives. There's evidence, evidence all around us. Jesus actually performed the work of the Father. There wasn't a story that was written, and then there was no evidence of that story being lived out. Jesus actually came. He lived in our midst. He walked the road that you and I could never walk. He was in the garden and didn't eat from the tree, right? You get, this, you get the analogy there? He wasn't really in the garden, but you get the analogy there, right? right? You and I were in the garden. We were like, give me the fruit, and we're going to the tree, and we're doing all the things we're told we're not allowed to do. Jesus, not that. Jesus actually embodied right relationship with God and through that right relationship with others. A significant part of restoration, though, 
is the actual process of doing the work of fixing things. About 12 or maybe a couple more than that, maybe 13 years ago now, um, I was in a phase of life where, where I wanted to go places fast. Anybody else ever been in that phase of life? Come on, raise your hand if you've been in that phase of life. All right, let me help you. Some of y'all are not sure whether to raise your hand or not. All right, there are times in your life, probably not at this point, but there have been maybe times in your pre- previously in your life where you're like, I'm going to speed a little bit wherever I'm going, all right? 55, I'm going 58, you know, like maybe 60, maybe 64. Anybody? Anybody drive a little too fast once in a while? Okay, all right, yeah, some of us, okay. All right, 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 right. <clears throat> well, I wanted to go, I was in the phase of life where I wanted to go really fast. James, you're going to understand this one. If I knew you were going to be here, James, I would have had you give this, give this story. You would get this one. I wanted to go somewhere really fast. So, so I went from four wheels to two. I went from sitting like this to leaning like this. Like I was going somewhere quick. I got the, 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 the fastest motorcycle that I could afford, and I pushed it faster than it would go. But, you know, so that's really cool and really fun. I remember I jumped on 95 all the way up by the Franklin Mills Mall, and I took 95 from there all the way down past the airport to the bottom of 476, and I made it in minutes. Like, it was, it was bad. Man, I felt so alive. Whew. All right. <clears throat> but then there was this one time I was going to see my girlfriend at the time, and, uh, and man, I wanted to get there fast. And I was on a little, little, are you listening to the story, lady? Okay, good. The story's about you. And so I was trying to get there fast. And, uh, and, and, and I was on this little back roads, you know, and I, I've been on these back roads plenty of times, plenty of times. But this time I was coming in way too hot and I was coming up on a bend and I realized that there was no way I was staying vertical on this bend. Like I took the bend and when I took the bend, I just said, oh, Lord, we're meeting today. This is it. And so where the bend went this way, I went down with it, and we slid across the road. And by the mere grace of God, I missed the driveway that, was, that had a car parked in it, and I slid into the grass. And, just sh- and I was a door prize on somebody's doorstep. <laughs> but by the grace of God, another two feet over, and I would have been somebody's back bumper. So I remember laying there on the ground being like, oh, am I ever going to be able to get up from this? And then thinking, my bike. What about my bike? And, and I hobbled up, and I got upright, and, and I went out, and I looked at my bike, and, and it still had two wheels, but it had many more parts now. <laughs> and there started the journey of trying to figure out how to put my bike back together. And if I, had, if I had been here at that point, I would have called up James and said, James, can we work in the garage for a while? But, but see, motorcycles, and especially really fast motorcycles, have a few metal parts and a whole lot of plastic parts. And the plastic parts, when, when they hit the ground, they, they break, they shatter. And so what I began to do was pick up all the pieces and brought them back together and kind of like a jigsaw puzzle, I moved them all around to figure out how to get them into the right shape. And then I went and I got, you know, essentially, I'm going to 
simplify it for us. I went and got some glue, and I, and I put some glue over it, and, and then I got some tape and put some tape over it, and, and I reshaped it into the right shape, and then I let it dry, and then I did it again, I let it dry, and then I did it again, and, and I kept building it up until finally it looked like the right shape. And then I got, some, I got some sandpaper, and I began to sand off the rough edges of it until, until finally I smoothed it out to be just the right way. And after weeks and weeks and then months and months and what seemed like an entire year of putting these pieces back together, finally, my bike was, was rideable. And finally, like, it had the shape again because I had, take something, I had taken something that was broken apart and I had restored it. I remember taking it over to my friend who also had a paint shop, and I was like, hey, can you paint this? Can you, can, you, can you finish this work for me? And I took it over to him, and, and it, 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 my bike was yellow and purple, and it came back, and it was this jet black. And I was like, this is amazing. And Michelle looked at me and said, this is for sale. <laughs> Jesus is the one who enriches our lives, but he does it through the work of putting our lives back together. He does it through the work of, of, of refining the rough edges. He does it through the work of, of, of the glue and, and the mesh tape and, 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 the, and the, the, the resin that dries, that, that hardens, that, that, that gives it shape again. He does it through the work of walking through our daily lives with us, reminding us through the Holy Spirit who we preached about for the last four weeks, reminding us of his work in our life. Pick up in John chapter 21 in the 15th verse. This is what it says. When, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than all these? And Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then go feed my lambs. Again, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then go take care of my sheep. The third time he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt and offended. And he, Jesus asked him for a third time, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went, and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said these things to indicate the kind of death of which Peter would glorify God through. And then he said, so follow me And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them as well. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered him, if I, want to, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what does that matter to you? You must follow me. Because of this, there were rumors that spread about, uh, about among the believers that the disciple would never die. But Jesus didn't actually say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive... What does it matter to you? This is the disciple who now testifies to these things and who wrote them down. And we know that this testimony is true. And Jesus did many other things. Listen to this. And if every one of them were to be written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would then be written about it. Jesus, in our midst, enriches our lives still today. The work of Jesus in our life is evident 
as he shapes and forms the broken parts of our life. The last point for this morning as we wrap up, Jesus has prepared the way forward, and through that, you and I are blessed. Jesus has prepared the way forward, and through that, you and I are blessed. The, the passage we read in Matthew chapter 11 ended with Jesus talking about John, and he said, John is the one who came to prepare the way. But who was he preparing the way for? He was preparing the way for, for Jesus. And John, as he sends out his disciples and says, hey, are you really Jesus? He's saying, is my ministry done? Is it time for yours to take over? And Jesus, this is who I am. Yes, I am the Messiah. John came to prepare the way for Jesus. He prepared the hearts for those who Jesus, to, to hear who Jesus was. He preemptively preached the good news until Jesus came. But... It was Jesus who came to prepare the way for you and for me. John prepared the way for us to be ready for Jesus, but Jesus came to prepare the way so you and I could be ready for the Father. His power, his victory over death leads you and I to resurrection hope. His power, his victory over death leads you and I to new life. His power, his victory over death leads us to freedom from the ways of old and engagement with God in the ways of new. Jesus came to restore us. Jesus came to redeem us. Jesus came to forgive us. Jesus came to make relationship right this way and this way. It is Jesus and Jesus alone through the power of the Father and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that shapes and refines it is Jesus and Jesus alone that is evidence of the work of God that is, that is happening in our lives all around us. It is Jesus right now through the presence of the Holy Spirit that is at work in your life, in my life, that is doing the work of saying, get behind me the one and get ahead of me the way of new. It is Jesus who is engaging you and welcoming you into right relationship with God. And it is Jesus today who wants us to understand that his daddy's business, which he is about, is restoration. It's restoration. Together, you and I, we're invited into a new life that is full and forever. Today, I'm reminded that Jesus' work was enough. So I've got to ask you, will you allow the word of God, to prepare the way in your life for you to see and know the ways of the Father. Will you say, yes, God, I receive your word, which gives me direction. I accept the presence of the Spirit of God in my life. And through the covering that comes from Jesus himself, I step into this relationship that I might step into this relationship. Friends, if I could speak to you earnestly for just one second. I know you're all here, and I, can know, I know you all can hear me because I have a microphone. But I want to know, are you really here? Not because I want to know, but because my Messiah, he's saying to you the same way he said to Peter, who was broken in his relationship with him. You love me? I know you're here. I know you'll show up. But do you love me? No, I, I know you'll try. I know you'll even give it the old, ah. But do, 
do you, do you really love me? Am I first on your list? Am I the priority in your life? Am I where you turn when you need hope? When things aren't right, do you look to me first? Do you love me? When these relationships aren't the way you want them, do you love me? I mean, this is what Jesus is asking. But he's not just asking so that we can say yes or no. That's not why he said, Simon Peter, do you love me? He's asking so that he can respond to deploy us in works of restoration. What does he do with Simon Peter? He doesn't just leave him having answered the question. He says, Simon Peter, it is through you that I will launch the church. Think about this for a second. It is through somebody who made great mistakes that I will launch my church. It is through somebody who cowardly left me that I will launch my church. It is through somebody who most of their life, most of their life was absent of relationship with me and was engaged for three years in relationship with me and didn't get it right for those three years. And through that, that I will birth the movement of God that we still celebrate today. Why? Because from Genesis chapter 1, from the moment that God created dirt, picked it up, and said, watch what I can do with it, to revelation, when God says, I will restore all things unto myself. What has he been about? Restoring. Restoring you and restoring me. I want to invite you into a special moment. As the band comes together to sing our last song, I want to invite you, you guys can come up now, I want to invite you as they're coming up to begin to pray with me. And during this prayer, what I want to invite you to do is, is begin to identify. Those of you who are at home, I want to invite you to do it as well. Begin to identify. How is it? Where is it that you need the restorative work of God in your life. And what I'm going to ask you to do is remain seated until you have identified where it is that you're laying your life down to God. God, this is the area where I need to see the restorative work that only you can do. God, this is the area where I need to see you be Lord of my life again. Maybe that'll come through confession Maybe that'll come through the work of saying, God, I need you. Maybe it'll come simply today by you being in a situation to be able to say for the first time, God, I'm, I'm here and I'm sorry. But once you've identified, Lord, restore my heart, restore my life, restore my desires, make right my way going forward, I want to invite you, pray. Ask God to do it. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. But is he your Lord? Is he your Lord?
My God restores and he desires to restore you today. And as he does that, then jump on your feet and sing this last song with us. Father God, we enter this time in prayer, Lord God. We pray, God, in celebration of what you're going to do in advance, God, we ask that you would be the God of great restoration in our lives. And maybe by the end of the song, we'll be ready to sing of your restorative work. But right now, we need to experience the movement of your spirit washing over us. We're all hiding behind trees and saying, we're, we're not ready. We're not ready. There's some things here that aren't right. So God, come, come, come cover us. Come cleanse us. Come renew us. Come bring us back to yourself. And as you do what only you can do, we'll celebrate the restorative work of our Father through you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.